Well, shalom, everybody. I want to welcome you back to uh, God of Miracles, our seven-week journey. We're going in the footsteps of Jesus through the Holy Land. Uh, I'm Pastor Tim, and uh, we need to give a great big welcome to all of our campuses. Can you say hi to guys? What's up, guys, on the big screen? Great to have you with us. Church Online, Facebook Live, glad you're here. What we're doing is we're walking in the footsteps of Jesus in these days leading up to Easter. And last week we kind of went down, down, down to the Dead Sea, the lowest point on planet Earth where we discovered the Old Testament Dead Sea Scrolls. We looked at these ancient manuscripts that were hidden for 2,000 years in the caves of Qumran that predicted the arrival of the Jewish Messiah or Savior for Israel, Jesus. And then we went to the Jordan River where Jesus himself was publicly baptized by his cousin. Remember his name, John the Baptist. Yeah, there you go. And his message was simple. Repent! Let's go the other way because the kingdom of God has arrived. Well, right after Jesus was baptized, uh, the Bible says the Holy Spirit led him into the desert wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. And that's where we get the tradition of Lent. We're in that season right now of Lent, 40 days typically of fasting and self-denial, uh, really testing our flesh. And Jesus, with the help of the Holy Spirit, he passed those tests in the wilderness, emerged stronger than ever. It says he was full of the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to go right now, we're going to travel where Jesus went immediately after his baptism and temptation. Jesus went to a city by the name of Capernaum. Can you say that? Capernaum. It's located on the north shore of Galilee. It's actually a fishing village. And Capernaum became Jesus' adopted hometown. It actually was his ministry headquarters where he performed some of his greatest miracles. In fact, your small group studied one of them this week. And today, I'm going to actually show you the house where it happened. So Matthew 4 says this, when Jesus heard that his cousin John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Now you may be like, why was John the Baptist in prison? The answer is because he called people out on their sins. He was not politically correct. He was telling people everywhere, repent, including King Herod. Uh, and Herod had an affair with his brother's wife. And basically John the Baptist called him out. He's like, Bro, you're an adulterer. You're a moron. You're living with your brother's wife. He spoke truth to power. And so Herod threw him in prison. This is why prophets get their heads handed to him. And that literally happened to John the Baptist. So when his cousin Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, Jesus withdrew to Galilee. Now you may be wondering, where is Galilee? Well, let me show you this map um, because I'll take a look where we started last week we were down in the Dead Sea region. This is kind of where we were in the southern part of Israel. But watch this. If you trace this little crack, you remember what river this is? This is the what? River Jordan. All the way up you'll get to this lake, which is known as the Sea of, anybody? Galilee, all right? So Dead Sea in the south Israel, Galilee in the north. So Jesus is moving from the south. He is relocating to the north of Israel, and this is where he spent 70% of his ministry, living on this lake and really showing the power of God in the lives of ordinary people. It says, leaving Nazareth, where he grew up, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the Sea of Galilee. You guys want to go to Capernaum? All right, let's do it. Hop on a plane. Here we go. Woo! Spin the globe. 
We are flying over South America. We're flying over Africa. We're flying over Egypt, and we're landing right here. Capernaum, which is right on the beach on the Sea of Galilee. Now, here's the cool thing. Notice that there's a road that runs right along that. Does anybody know what this road is? This is the ancient Garden State Parkway. <laughs> All right? Not really. It's called the Via Maris. It was a Roman crossroads that, watch this, it connected Europe, Africa, and Asia. So whatever Jesus did here, they knew would ripple out to the ends of the earth. See, his boyhood village in Nazareth was probably, scholars say, 200 people. But Capernaum, 20 miles north, was actually about a couple thousand people. And it's quite something. On our trip to Israel in January, Colleen and I drove to Capernaum uh, to go see the ancient ruins from the first century. It's beautiful. It's located right on the Sea of Galilee. It is a thriving fishing village with a huge harbor for boats. It's got about 2,500 feet of seawall along the shoreline. And it was home to fishermen and farmers and tax collectors and actually Roman soldiers. It had a lot of Roman influence, so there's a lot of sin and paganism there. But this is Jesus' home base or ministry headquarters. And watch this. This is where he got the disciples from. They were fishing right along this shoreline here. And he said, hey, Peter, who's this guy next to you? Oh, that's my brother Andrew. Okay, Petey and Andy, come with me. What's your names? Jimmy and John. Come on, boys. And this is where he kind of rounded up his small group, the disciples from. They actually lived here in Capernaum. And what's amazing, what you're about to see here, is that Jesus performed more miracles in Capernaum, 12 of them, than anywhere else in the Gospels. And so today, we're going to look at three miracles that happened right here. We're going to visit, actually, the synagogue where Jesus taught and cast out a demon. We're going to visit the home of Peter, where Jesus rebukes a fever, heals a woman, as well as a paralyzed man who Jesus heals with just a word, and, and he walks away. I mean, incredible, paralyzed guy walks. You actually read about this, but I'm going to show you where it happens. We're going to look at the archaeological remains of these ruins, and here's what's the cool part. You're going to feel God's heart, because you are going to see how Jesus was filled with deep compassion for people who were sick or struggling. You know, maybe you're here today, and you're sick, and took everything you had just to get here today, and you got a smile on your face, but, but you're ill, or you have an injury, or, or you're just suffering emotionally or, or, or spiritually. In fact, we're going to actually have a chance to pray for the sick at the end of today's service. We're going to call you forward, anoint you with oil in the name of Jesus, because we believe Jesus still heals today. Amen? So that's going to happen. All right, I'm just planting a seed. Understand. All right. Oh, good. This is a live crowd. All right. Here we go. Let's dive in. We're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, where we left off last week. It says this, verse 21. It says, they went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into what, church? What's it say? The synagogue and began to teach. Now, the synagogue was the local worship center for Jewish people in Capernaum because the temple, right, was down south by Jerusalem. It's too far to travel every week for worship. So most towns had a local synagogue. Looked like this, local church where they had weekly worship services on Saturday. Why Saturday? Well, that was the Jewish Sabbath. And so the Jewish men would gather and they would listen typically to a visiting rabbi who would stand up, open the Old Testament, read from the Torah, and preach from the Scriptures. Mark says, they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue. He began to teach. And it says, the people were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught them as one who had, what's the word? 
You remember that word. Put that in your pocket. Authority. Not as teachers of the law. In other words, most teachers of the law or rabbis, they would actually read the Bible aloud, and then they would quote other well-respected rabbis who they thought would give their words more weight. But Jesus is like, I don't need that. Jesus is like, actually, I have the authority of heaven behind me. Because Jesus is God, he knew exactly what the scripture said and meant. He's like, I wrote the book. So I'm going to reference myself. I'm the ultimate authority. Now I want you to imagine. Can you imagine what it would be like to walk into church and be like, hey, Pastor Tim's not here today. Today we have this new rabbi. He's called Jesus. And you sit down in this synagogue in Capernaum. In fact, you don't have to pretend. Let me take you there. Hey guys, I'm in Capernaum, the ministry headquarters of Jesus. Come here, I'll show you something really cool. See this synagogue? This is a synagogue that was built after the time of Jesus, but look underneath it. You see that black stone? That's volcanic black basalt. It's actually the foundation of the very synagogue where Jesus taught. Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. it's so cool. This is the ancient ruins of Capernaum. This is where he moved after he was in Nazareth. It was a way for him to actually have a ministry headquarters. And then here's the synagogue, come on in. Take a look. Ancient Israel, the synagogue, we know Jesus was here. We are walking in his footsteps. How cool is that? Well, it is very cool, let me tell you. And you're gonna walk in his footsteps right now. Can I tell you, I mean, how powerful it is to stand where Jesus stood? I mean, to know that this is the very spot where he taught with authority and with power from the scriptures. These stones heard his voice. How do you know for sure? Well, this is one of the most amazing archaeological sites in Israel. See, in the first century, as like I, I just said, homes and synagogues, they were built using black basalt. Basically, it was volcanic stone found in the Sea of Galilee Basin. And so if you look at Capernaum, there's all these low black stone walls in the outline of houses. But in the middle of the city is this white limestone synagogue that carbon dates back to the year A.D. 300. And you're like, well, wait, that's after the life of Jesus. Yes, but look closely. If you look closely, you'll see underneath the white limestone is the outline of a black basalt foundation four feet thick that archaeologists have now confirmed is the original foundation of the synagogue that Jesus taught in. In other words, the white limestone synagogue is built smack dab on top of Jesus' synagogue to mark and preserve its site. So you're standing in the spot where the Son of God walked and talked and prayed and taught and healed the hurting. I mean, it's amazing. So I want you to imagine this with me. Let's say you live in Capernaum, right? And you hear news. This young rabbi just moved into the neighborhood. His name's Jesus. He's like this rising star. You're like, great, taxes are going to go up, right? Property taxes. But you hear he's speaking at your church this weekend. And you're like, you know what? Let's go to synagogue. I want to check this guy out, see what he's about. And you listen. He's dynamic, but not flashy. His words carry this, like, this weight, this gravitas. Like, he's not just making stuff up, but he's actually living it out. His words and his actions are one. And his words are mesmerizing. So you're leaning in, you're listening, you're taking notes in your, your app and everything. But as you listen, the worship service is suddenly disrupted. Verse 23. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was what? possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want from us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? 
I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And you're like, what, what is going on here? It's like a flash mob or something. This is, this is weird. This guy's like hissing. He's like foaming. Oh, he's demon possessed. Well, this should be interesting, right? How's he going to handle this? It says, be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Well, the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A a new teaching and and, and with authority. I mean, he even gives evil spirits orders, and they obey him. And news about Jesus spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. You think? (laughs) You ever been to a church service like that? Anybody see an exorcism up close? Okay, I need a volunteer. I'll show you. Come on, let's get it. <laughs> Relax. Let, let, let's, let's just be honest. Let's, let, well, let's be honest here. Listen, because a lot of you, I know right now what you're thinking. See, a lot of modern people typically dismiss ancient accounts of demon possession as, well, it's just a primitive way to describe mental illness. They didn't know what mental illness was. And you know what? That's true. Throughout history, mental illness has often been wrongly diagnosed as demon possession. But in this case... Mark makes it clear that this is a hostile, demonic spirit that controlled this man. So understand what the Bible says. The Bible says that there are evil spirits or demons who are ruled by Satan. He didn't create them, but demons are fallen angels who join Satan in his rebellion against God. And though not all sickness comes from Satan, in the Bible, demons often caused people to become uh, blind, uh, mute, deaf, even suicidal. And during Jesus' ministry on earth, those demons became very active, or should I say reactive, to the presence of a holy God. They they were provoked. They were tormented by the presence of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because Jesus Christ has power and authority over them. And so the moment, the moment Jesus steps foot in the synagogue, that demon speaks out. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? The answer is yes. I, Jesus was a demon duster. <laughs> demon says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Even the evil spirits knew Jesus was the Messiah with the power and authority to destroy them. Now notice Jesus doesn't perform some you know, flashy exorcism. There's no holy water. There's no, you know, magic incantation. He simply says, be quiet, come out of him, and it leaves. And it says news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. So understand, this is the spot, this is the moment that Jesus' ministry begins blowing up. In Capernaum, you're standing where Jesus the teacher becomes Jesus the healer. And suddenly the crowds begin pouring in from all around Galilee, into the small town Capernaum, searching for the miracle man from Nazareth. Now, this is where Jesus taught and healed, but where did he live in Capernaum? Like, where did he sleep? And what's cool is the answer is only 90 feet away from the synagogue. You can actually see it. This is pretty cool. Let me show you an overhead drone shot. Capernaum kind of looks like a jigsaw puzzle from the above, because you see row after row of these uh, stone walls or outlines of the home. So you can walk around the ancient ruins, walk the streets of it, and really kind of see the shape of the town. But there's one home in particular that attracted the attention of archaeologists. 
There you go. <laughs> That's the home of Simon Peter. That's where Peter and his family lived, and most likely where Jesus slept, stayed, and ate whenever he came home to Capernaum. The Bible says Jesus had no permanent home, so who did he stay with? Well, Peter and his family. And so this tiny house that you're looking at, about 600 square feet, was the site of two amazing miracles. Let's keep reading. Mark 1, verse 29, it says, As soon as they left the synagogue, so we're out of the synagogue now, we're walking across the street, they went with, here they are, James and John, to the home of Simon, Peter, and Andrew. And Simon Peter's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And so they immediately told Jesus about her. So Jesus went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. So this house you look at, this is the site of Jesus' second miracle. And this time he doesn't rebuke a demon, he rebukes a fever. And I, I love that about Jesus. Like, demonic possession or headache. Doesn't matter if it's big or small. Jesus just had a heart to help people who were in pain. Amen? He has compassion for those who are sick or suffering. And Jesus loved Peter. And when his mom is sick, they didn't call a doctor. They didn't actually give her Tylenol. <laughs> because they personally knew the great physician. And Jesus lived with them. It says Simon's mom was in bed with a fever. Immediately they tell Jesus, and watch this. So he went to her. This is important. He took her hand. He touched her. And he helped her up. And the fever left her. And she began to wait on them. Now what's cool about this is that archaeologists are so certain that this is the home of Peter where this miracle occurred. That the Roman Catholic Church built a modern church on top of it. Kind of looks like a spaceship, right? Kind of weird, but there's a reason for that. They didn't want to crush the home of Simon Peter, so they actually put it on eight different pillars so it hovers above and you can actually look down into it. It's very, very cool. But they're like, this is a sacred site, and you can still see. This is where Jesus slept, where he healed. Again, word gets out, and I want you to imagine, people begin pouring in to this town. It says that evening after sunset, because it's the Sabbath, the people brought to Jesus all the what? The sick and demon-possessed, and the whole town gathered out that little door. And Jesus healed many who had what? Various diseases. Doesn't say, is it arthritis? Is it cancer? Is it uh, uh, whatever it is? He healed various diseases. And then it says he also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now let me call out a question I know some of you are thinking. All right? Because healing miracles like these cause problems sometimes for modern minds, okay? The Bible seems so, like, matter-of-fact about it. Like, Jesus just drove out a demon, and then he, like, spoke to a fever, and it's gone, you know. And the reality is, right, he heals diseases, all this kind of stuff. But today, let's be honest. We're like, you know what? If someone I love had a fever, I'd just give them an aspirin, right? <laughs> but in the ancient world, it's like somebody had a seizure and was shaking. They didn't think it was epilepsy. They're like a demon is attacking them. So to modern minds, we're like, well, today we know better. Poor Jesus. He didn't have a medical degree. Listen, a lot of these things are explainable today, right? You're like, through medical science. I mean, was the man in the synagogue really demon-possessed? Or was he mentally ill and he didn't have his meds that day, right? You, you guys know this. I'm not being cute or cynical. I was in New York City yesterday. And I was walking down the streets. And I saw a guy who appeared to be homeless and mentally ill. He's just kind of shouting into the sky. He's screaming. He's yelling. And you're, you're looking. There's nobody there. He's mentally ill. I saw another 
homeless woman who hadn't bathed in some time, kind of looked kind of like deranged, kind of, and she kept bobbing up her head up and down, and she's like whispering to herself and, and kind of just glazed over. In the first century, people would have assumed they were possessed by demons. Now today, you and I would recognize rightly that those are often symptoms of mental illness or drug addiction, trauma, or a chemical imbalance. But understand, in the ancient world, in the first century, no one knew about viruses or bacteria. They hadn't heard of schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or a dozen other conditions we routinely identify as mental illness today. So here's the question. When Jesus was standing in that synagogue, was he casting out demons or healing mental illness? And I think the answer is probably both. See, to Jesus, it did, it did not seem important to Jesus to distinguish between the two. He just said, I am going to bring deliverance and healing for people who are in pain. First century people didn't know the science behind the disease, and Jesus didn't feel the need to explain what we would one day discover. He simply said, I'm going to show the power of God and the compassion of God to heal his children. So it doesn't matter. Is it demonic possession or fever? Big, small, doesn't matter. Jesus has a heart to help. And when sick people came to him, he had the power and authority to heal. It says the whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Hundreds of people touched and healed by Jesus in Capernaum. He also drove out many demons. Jesus was a devil duster. He just needed to speak a word or touch a hand and evil spirits fled and so did fevers. So listen, you don't have to freak out or be scared when it starts talking about demons. One thing you'll notice, Jesus is never afraid of demons. They were terrified of him. Look at back at this demon in the synagogue. You'll see it's, it's free. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? Yes! Understand Jesus Christ has absolute power over disease and demons, and they know it. So if you're here today, and you've got some demons in your life, right? That's kind of how we use the terms today. Well, you know, he drinks a lot. He's tried to get sober, and but he's got some demons. Maybe you're here today, and you're controlled by drugs or alcohol or pornography or some other addiction. I've got, I've got these demons. Maybe you struggle with suicidal thoughts or, or, or just a spirit of depression. Understand, there is power in the very name of Jesus. You understand that? His power and his strength are infinitely greater than the forces of darkness. In fact, when it's Jesus versus demons, it ain't a fair fight. So understand, Christians, you need to call on that name and pray with that power. You got to do it. Can I make this personal? I mean, I, as I was writing this, I just got this thing like maybe somebody is here who has PTSD, you know? You have recurring memories of abuse in your past. And God weeps, by the way with you, but it just keeps coming back, keeps coming back, or you have night terrors. Let me, let me, listen, let me make this practical. When you go to bed, let me encourage you, the, the counsel is not, well, when you go to bed, just, you know, think happy thoughts. <laughs> no, we're talking about spiritual warfare. Open your Bible, read the gospel of Mark, and actually claim Jesus's authority over your life. Say, Jesus, I, I commit my life to you as I go to sleep. I ask you to take captive every thought and make it obedient to you, Jesus. 
I pray, God, right now that you would guard my heart and mind. Father, cover me with your blood. Surround me with your love. Help me sleep peacefully through this night. That's what it means to pray with authority. You understand? And sometimes you got to do this. We're very weak in this church. We got a little flabby muscles on this stuff. I'm serious. Some of you are like, oh, I'm with you, Tim. And if you really want to go after it, you know, you can even speak to the demon. You say, demon, if you're in this room, guess what? In Jesus' name, it's time to go. I belong to Jesus of Nazareth, and he's more powerful than you. He knows your name, and I command you, go to hell where you came from. Understand, you have the authority. Jesus has the power. You need to use it, church. I'm just saying. Now, now oh, this is interesting. <laughs> there's, there's two groups of people here, and both are nervous. <laughs> right? There, there's, a, there's like the charismatic people who are like, woo! Let's do this, right? Devil duster kind of thing. My wife grew up, you know, Pentecostal. And I was like her experience everything. I grew up frozen chosen, <laughs> okay? <laughs> so I'm, not, I'm just a little bit like, oh, I, I get you. Like, you're like, oh, no, here come the snakes. You know, we're going to start handling snakes and stuff, you know? Listen, listen to me, listen to me. We have a very balanced approach here at Liquid, okay? I'm not saying there's a demon under every rock. Sometimes a fever is just a fever, and if you need meds, take your meds. Because at Liquid, we believe in the power of both miracles and medicine together. Amen? God often heals you through the gifted hands of doctors and nurses and counselors and therapists. I'm just saying, though, church, sometimes you need to exercise spiritual authority, too. And we're going to use it today. We're going to pray for the sick in a few minutes. You understand in this church, we regularly pray for people's healing. Their physical healing. Maybe you have a broken part of your body. Emotional healing. Maybe there's a broken mind or spiritual, broken spirit. We have seen God do the miraculous of this church. Without getting weird or, 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 or you know, just freaking out. We've seen a paralyzed person get up and walk through the power of prayer. So, so just listen, I'm, I'm not... You hear my heart. I'm not getting all like weirdo televangelists on you. I'm just stating the facts. Jesus is alive and he's still in the healing business. So if you're struggling or you're sick today, I just want you to know a great physician is in. And so at every campus in a few minutes, our prayer ministers are going to come forward to the front of this stage and we're going to open up this altar for healing prayer. And you're going to have a chance to come forward, and we're going to anoint you with oil. And we're going to pray for you in Jesus' name. And let's just see what God does. I know he's going to do something. He did at the last service. He's powerful things. But before we call you forward, I want to show you one more miracle, my favorite one at Capernaum. And then I'm going to tell you about a miracle God did in our church this year. Again, this is one of my favorites. Mark 2 says this. We just keep going in, in, in chronological order. It says, a few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come what? So he's home again. He's living at Peter's house. And it says they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door of Peter's house. And he preached the word to them. Now, archaeologists say Peter's home was about 600 square feet total, okay? And uh, there are about six adults living there. And they live differently. Families live together. And when Jesus was home, I want you to imagine hundreds of people trying to squeeze through this door of poor Peter's tiny little, you know, tiny house to catch a glimpse of Jesus. I just want to hear his voice. I just want, I imagine they were packed five and six deep just trying to squeeze in to see Jesus. And it says some men came 
bring to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they had a plan B. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Now, I think you get this. The, in Bible times, the homes are made out of stone. But the roofs were made out of mud mixed with straw. And then they would dry out. So it's basically dry mud on the roof. So I want you to imagine these four fat brothers come up. I didn't say fat brothers, frat brothers, okay? <laughs> they like come on up and they've got their crippled friend like on a stretcher because he was paralyzed. We don't know why. Bible doesn't say, was he a stroke victim? I don't know. Was he in a car accident? I don't know. He's a quadriplegic. And they're like, we're going to bring him to see Jesus. And they're like, oh man, this place is packed. It's too crowded. And one of them, you know, Gunther's like, oh, I got an idea. Let's go up. Why are we going up to the roof? We just, we just punch our way in, man. Start digging it. And they're like, all right. And they, they you know, carry him up. And I want you to imagine this scene. They start digging through the mud and straw. Imagine being inside the house. Like Jesus is here and he's preaching. He's like, I tell you. The, 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 and all, like, what the? And all of a sudden, like dust and mud and straw start coming through. And, 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 and they're like, wait, 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 what's happening? And Jesus is looking up and Peter's like, hey, what's, what's going on? Hey, get off my roof, you morons. You know Peter was pissed, right? He's like, hey, what are you doing? You're ready to ruin the whole house and everything. These four guys literally rip the roof off to bring their friend to Jesus. Verse 5 says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are what? Spiritual first. Now watch physical. Get up, take your mat, and go home. And it says he got up and he took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. And they praise God. <laughs> They're like, we have never seen anything like this. Guys, today, you can walk up the stairs into the church over Peter's home. And in the center of the church is a glass floor over the ruins where they ripped the roof off. And you look down into the room where Jesus healed that paralyzed man. It is amazing to stand in that place and realize nothing is impossible for our God of miracles. Amen? Nothing's impossible for him. So let me be super clear. At Liquid, we believe Jesus still heals today. That God's power can do in a moment what sometimes medicine can't touch. So before we call you forward for healing prayer, I just want to highlight two things in this miracle. I think that helps set the atmosphere for healing. And the first idea is this. We all need stretcher bearers in our life. Amen? In moments of weakness and need, every one of us needs friends who will come around us, lift us up, and take us to Jesus for healing. Notice it doesn't say if the guy who got healed had faith. It doesn't even say. We had, he may have no faith at all. He may have been like, I don't even know who Jesus is. It says when Jesus saw their faith, it was the faith of his friends. Because his friends said, if we bring him, if we even rip the roof off just to get him in front of Jesus, we believe God can do something. And because the stretcher bearers had faith, Jesus healed the man. Can I ask, do you have friends like that? Because we all go through seasons of sickness and suffering. If you're not sick right now, I will be one day. It's, it's like guaranteed. 
And at that moment, you need friends whose faith is strong even when yours is weak. And understand, those friendships don't happen. They don't just happen. You have to invest in them. Now, here at Liquid, that happens mainly in our small groups, right? We not only open the Bible, but we carry each other's burdens. We pray for each other when we're sick. We encourage each other when we're weak. So let me ask you this question, right? Heart question. Who are the stretcher bearers in your life? Because this church is full of them, okay? If you're not sick, if you're here today and you're not struggling, let me challenge you to be a stretcher bearer for someone else. Maybe someone you love is struggling, and God wants you to, to, to walk up here with them for healing prayer. Come forward in faith. We'll lay hands on them together, but we all need stretcher bearers. And secondly, notice that Jesus has, I can't even, deep, deep, like from the gut, compassion for people who are sick. If you're sick today, can I just say from my heart, Jesus sees you. He cares. You may have been struggling a long time. You got a smile on your face this morning, and you're just like, I just gave up praying for that. God is full of compassion. In every one of these healing stories, Jesus made a, he made a point of noticing and stopping what he was doing to heal sick people. He didn't just have the power to do it. He had the heart to do it, and so did we. You know, last week after service, a young mom came up to me, and um, she has a brand new baby, only seven months old. Baby's fine. Mom's not. And she said, um, you know, Pastor Tim, for several weeks, I've actually been spiking fevers, like inexplicably, they're coming, they're going. And my lymph nodes, my glands are actually swollen. And I've gone to the doctors for this, and they're concerned, but they don't know what it is yet. And she said, Pastor Tim, I need, I need you to pray for that, but I need you to pray for my heart. I'm so scared. She goes, my baby is seven months old, and, and I have just have this, this spirit of fear of what might happen. Could you pray for me? And of course I did on the spot, but so is our prayer team every day praying for her. Guys, can I tell you, like, when I look into the faces of this congregation, I see the pain. I see, I see men struggling with prostate cancer and heart conditions. I see women who are struggling with infertility. They're doing all the medical treatments and eating disorders and all the perfection and the lies of the enemy. I see teens, our teens, anxiety, chronic anxiety and depression and cutting themselves. And I want you to know Jesus sees you and he has compassion for you. He is for you and so are we. And that is why we pray for healing in the name of Jesus. And I just want to encourage you because you will be amazed what Jesus can do when his people come to him humbly, out of love, and pray boldly in faith. Last March, guys, almost exactly a year ago, our church family was devastated to receive news about a little girl named Leah Hansen. She's at our Somerset County campus. Leah was about 10 years old at the time, very active in school and sports, and one day she comes home from school, playing in the basement, and with a moment she's paralyzed, suffered a spinal stroke, and became a quadriplegic. And her parents... Peter and Abby, they, they, you know, they smiled bravely. But understand, they were devastated. What would you do if your little girl was quadriplegic? But the Hansons are full of faith. And even when they were weak, and they'll tell you, they have a church family who is full of faith. And I want to thank all you stretcher bears at Liquid who came out, who got on our knees. We actually prayed for little Leah, just begging, Jesus, touch her. 
Lord, heal her. We, the doctors can't do it. You have to do something. We actually prayed the prayer to Letha Kum, where, where Jesus does one of his miracles, and it means, little girl, I say, get up. Well, church, I have thrilling news to report to you today. <laughs> one year later, Jesus has turned this tragedy into a miracle in our midst. I'll let Peter and Abby share their story. Leah is the oldest child of four. She is very, very active. She um, loves to dance. She loves to play. She loves to ski. We have had a lot of fun watching her grow up. And then that changed very, very suddenly. It's about a year ago. Leah and her little sister went down in the basement to play. Leah called up to me and said, Mom, I hurt my back. And she said to me, Mom, um, my fingers feel very tingly. And then the tingliness kind of spread up her arms and to different parts of her body. And she tried to stand up. And at that point, she fell down to the ground. And she said, Mom, I can't walk. And I picked up Leah and I carried her to the car because she couldn't walk, her body was limp. So we got checked into the emergency room and they couldn't find anything to explain why she couldn't move. In about 24 hours, she went from playing softball and running around to being a quadriplegic. During the fast last year, a lot of people in, throughout the church had taken Leah on to pray for her. I was blown away by that. Leah needed healing. There was only one person who could heal her, and that was Jesus. And I went to the worship night, and I went up front, and I got on my knees with a lot of other people, and I begged God that night. And I begged him a lot of other nights, but I begged him that night in front of a lot of people to heal her, to heal my little girl. Pastor Tim came and he, he read from the Bible and he read from, from Mark, um, specifically Mark 5.41, Talitha Kum, little girl, get up. And that became the prayer we prayed for Leah, that, um, that she would get up. She would get up out of her hospital bed and she would walk out of the ICU and she would go back to life. I, I said to God, this will not be wasted. This will not be wasted. I didn't have any words left. I had nothing. I had been praying for weeks for her to be healed. And with each little victory, we rejoiced in the miracle that was happening. It was overwhelming because it happened so fast. In a three month time, she went from being a quadriplegic to back to school, doing some of the things that you would normally do and she keeps working to get better. We're just glad she's with us. I mean, our family would not be complete if she wasn't here. There's no words I can speak that express the gratitude I have in my heart for him. He saved her life, he raised her up, she stood up, she walked, she's still here, she's part of our life, and she's a living testament, she's a walking testament to the power of the Almighty God. Amen. We need to rip the roof off and give God a praise. Give him more praise. Jesus, you did this. Jesus did this. Jesus of Nazareth did it. It's the Lord who does these things. Nothing is impossible for the Lord. He can do it. 
He can do it. We praise you, God. We give you all the credit and the glory, God, and for this marvelous work, this marvelous work, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We praise him. Guys, I want you to notice something. Yeah, praise God. Oh, man, people are like, come on, I'm coming up for healing prayer right now. Give me three minutes. I want you to notice something here. Listen. First off, notice, notice Leah's healing wasn't instantaneous. It took time. It was gradual. First she wiggled a finger, then a toe. And we kept praying. Sometimes it's days, sometimes it's weeks, sometimes it's months. And so understand, when you come up for prayer today, uh, if, if nothing happens right away, it doesn't mean God doesn't love you or the Holy Spirit isn't working. Be patient. We will keep praying. Watch what God will do. Secondly, notice the impact of miracles and medicine together. Guys, we need to give credit to the doctors and the nurses and the, the, the therapists involved in Leah's recovery. Can we thank people in the healthcare and the medical industry in the field? You're God's hands of healing too. Healing prayer is, is never a substitute for medicine. If you're under medical care, great, terrific. You'd be a fool not to be. Modern medicine is a blessing. It's a boon. God uses doctors and nurses and surgeons and therapists and counselors as his hands of healing. So understand at Liquid, we believe in both miracles and medicine. The physical and the spiritual are linked together. Did you notice what Jesus said to the paralyzed man in Mark before he said, get up? It says, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, son, what? Your sins are forgiven. I want to address the spiritual first. And now that your sins are forgiven, get up. Take your mat and go home. The physical is healed too. In other words, your body may be broken, son, but so is your heart. And sin is a spiritual sickness that Jesus came to cure in all of us. So understand, no matter what God does in your life, the greatest healing you'll ever receive is salvation. Amen? It's a restored relationship with your Father in heaven that can never be taken away. So sometimes understand our physical bodies hurt, but really it's our soul that's sick. And Jesus said, I can heal a hurting heart and a broken body. Through his death on the cross, he has power to do both. He can forgive your sins and he can set you free. And so we all need stretcher bearers in our lives. And so right now at all of our campuses, I want to call forward our prayer warriors. This is our spiritual care team. They are your stretcher bearers today. They're coming forward right now, guys. Come on up at all of our campuses. I'm going to ask them to line up right in front of the stage at your campus. And they are prayed up. We've been praying all day. If you don't have faith, we're full of faith today. And so what's going to happen? Let me tell you how this is going to work. In a moment, your campus pastor is going to invite you to stand, and the worship band is going to play a beautiful song, Holy Spirit, just kind of welcoming the presence of Jesus. And if you're in need of healing, physical, emotional, spiritual, doesn't matter, I want you to step out of your seat and come forward to the altar at your campus. Our prayer team is going to, it's not going to be weird, they're just going to ask you a couple questions. What's your name? And they're going to ask you if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because salvation is the greatest healing you'll ever know. Amen? We want to make sure that's the case. And then we'll ask you where it hurts, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to anoint you with oil. Oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. We're going to anoint you with oil in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, and then we're going to pray for Jesus to touch you. No pressure, no weirdness. Understand, these are not magic men and women. They don't have special powers. We're just representing Jesus, the God of miracles. So if they pray for you, they touch you, you feel tingling or you feel heat or some sort of sensation, wonderful. Don't freak out. Sometimes that's a sign of the Holy Spirit working in you. But understand, it's Jesus who's touching you, and he gets all the glory. 
And if nothing happens, that's okay too. Doesn't mean you didn't have enough faith or God doesn't love you. It's not a failure. We'll keep praying. We offer your prayer after every single service, every single Sunday. And sometimes it's gradual and we will walk with you through your whole trial. So think of these men and women as your stretcher bearers today, guys. They are here to bring you into the presence of Jesus. So let me pray for you right now and then your local pastor will lead you in healing prayer. Father, I'm just moved. I'm just touched, Jesus, thinking of you in that little house and people five and six deep coming to see you. People who had no hope. They thought, if I could just get close to Jesus, what might God do? So Jesus, right now, we invite your Holy Spirit to fill this place with faith for the miraculous. God, to do what only you can do. We've seen it. We saw what you did with Leah, and we praise you. God, I pray right now for those in our church who are sick or struggling, who are Maybe they have illness or injury or emotional or, or spiritually they're troubled. Lord, we ask that you would stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We take authority in his name and we proclaim you are a God of miracles. Now pour out your love for your children and your power in this place. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen.